I'm jumping in with a quick message that I've added to all HR Coffee Time episodes to let you know that my group programme, Inspiring HR, is back. In case you haven't heard of it before, it's an intensive six-week programme for mid and senior level HR and people professionals. So if you're an HR business partner, HR manager, head of HR or HR director, or the people equivalent, so a people business partner, people manager, head of people or people director, and you'd like to build your confidence, your credibility and your impact at work, Inspiring HR could be perfect for you. We get started on Wednesday the 5th of June 2024 when we'll be meeting up over Zoom for two hours every week. The group sessions are a blend of group coaching, training and facilitation. They're supportive, encouraging and practical and each week has a slightly different focus. So in week one, we look at setting yourself up for success. Week two is about boosting your confidence. Week three focuses on being strategic in your role. Week four is all about building key relationships. Week five takes a deep dive into influencing at a senior level. And the final week looks at planning for the future. There's a link with the full details in the show notes for you. Or you can learn more by going to my website, Bright Sky Career Coaching, clicking on services and then clicking on Inspiring HR Group Programme. I would love to have you join us and to get to know you throughout the programme. But if you have any questions about Inspiring HR at all, please feel free to ask by getting in touch through the website and I would be very happy to answer them for you. Welcome to HR Coffee Time. It's great to have you here. I'm your host, Faye Wallace, a career and executive coach with a background in HR, and I'm also the founder of Bright Sky Career Coaching. I've made HR Coffee Time especially for you to help you have a successful and fulfilling HR and people career without working yourself into the ground. I know that creating any strategy as part of your HR or people responsibilities can feel daunting. But I think it can feel especially daunting when it comes to diversity, equity and inclusion, or DEI for short, because it's just so important. It covers so many different aspects and it involves delving into sensitive issues. Making progress can mean sparking huge cultural change and as we all know, cultural change can be messy and difficult and it takes time. We've looked at strategy and we've looked at diversity, equity and inclusion on the podcast before, but today's episode is the first one that takes a deep dive into how to create an effective DEI strategy. So no matter where you are on your DEI journey in your organisation at the moment, whether you have a robust plan that you're all living and breathing and putting into action, or you have no experience in this area at all, or you are taking action, but you're not confident that what you're doing is as good as it could be, this episode is here to help. You're about to hear from Mitra Rowe, who generously shares some of her key insights into how to create an effective DEI strategy. Mitra is the founder of Starling Business Solutions. 
a company that offers a range of services, including organisation development, people development, coaching, and something called Space to Talk, which you're going to learn more about soon. I love the fact that Mitra describes herself as focusing on making a difference in the world, rather than just making a noise. I think you're going to find what she has to say really insightful. Let's go ahead and meet her now. Mitra, welcome to the show and I'm so grateful for you being here today because I can't believe you're doing the interview when you actually have COVID. (laughs) Hi Faye, thank you. I will apologise to your listeners in advance if I do cough, but I'm not uh, really struck down with it, so I'm happy to be here today. Oh, well, it's so good of you. I really appreciate it. And I'm sure that everyone listening appreciates it too. And before we dive into all your brilliant tips on creating an effective DEI strategy, I thought it would be useful for everyone to hear what you think some of the biggest mistakes are when it comes to DEI and how to avoid them. Well, there are three main mistakes I see organisations mistake when it comes to diversity and inclusion, really. The first one is you've got to understand what you're trying to fix rather than thinking it's a band-aid you're going to put on it. The second mistake is assuming that the root cause of diversity and inclusion gaps are linked to diversity and inclusion issues. And that's definitely not the case. It's easy to jump to conclusions though. So for example, if you've got a higher female attrition and it's driven by a lack of work-life balance, that's not really a diversity and inclusion issue that needs to be picked up. It's more a broader issue that's more likely to be a societal one that has to be picked up, that has to be, you know, that changes over time. And it needs to be dealt with separately. The third mistake that often organizations make is promising, over-promising and promising something that they can't deliver on as quickly as they would like. So therefore creating that demand, that anticipation, that change is going to happen within six months. And that kind of change that you're looking to drive and to deliver really takes 12, 18 months, three years sometimes to develop and deliver. Well, I am sure that anyone listening can instantly think of at least one example when they've seen one of those mistakes happen, whether it's in their organisation or somewhere that maybe a friend works or something that they've read about in the news. The thing that strikes me about all three of those things is that there's always good intentions behind them. Mm. No one sets out to make any mistakes on purpose like this. So I think it's incredibly helpful to have you shine a light on them because it means we all know how to put steps in place to make sure that they don't happen for us. Mm. So thank you, Mitra. And now that we've looked at the mistakes to avoid, let's get on to the next part, which is all about looking at how to get your diversity and inclusion strategy right. So for anyone listening who has been tasked with creating the DEI strategy, what is your advice to them? I know a lot of people don't know where to start with this sort of thing. Sometimes we can go onto a program or a workshop that will help us, but nine out of 10 people will be given this as a mandate and they're typically in HR roles or in standalone roles or they might even be a board member or depending on the size of your organisation. So it's difficult to know where to start. There's a real sense of overwhelm when it comes to the, the range of topics that sit under the umbrella of diversity and inclusion. And equally, you can sometimes find that individuals are overloaded with almost everything being a diversity and inclusion issue that can actually be resolved as we were talking about earlier, one of the core mistakes. So if you are one of those people, then definitely I'm going to say read, research, 
benchmark as much as you possibly can and gather data, internal data as well as external data to really understand your starting point. We as an organization at Starling, we use the ISO standards for human capital and diversity and inclusion. Those are for those who are really interested, ISO 30414 and ISO 30415. So those standards are especially 30415 are fairly new in in the diversity and inclusion space but they are our kind of touch points that we look at there are 11 touch points in there that really help us with data analytics and reporting so research benchmark and find your data those are critical requirements before you even start to look at anything else then of course i'd encourage you to look at a framework that's going to help you achieve this so we have a DEI playbook that is available to download on our website. And that playbook is really a six step framework that we use as the foundation for all of our work. Coupled with the research, the data, the framework is underpinned by a clear organizational strategy. Now, what do I mean by that? Having a clear or a defined vision, mission, set of objectives in terms of where you want your business to go, what you want it to achieve, how you know you'll get there or when you are there. And that has to sit at the heart of any uh, framework or any um, DEI strategy. So there are six steps really that we use as an approach that help us to achieve uh, good diversity and inclusion across the workplace. And we start out by looking at, as you mentioned, developing strategy. Now that in itself isn't the be all and end all. It links to your organizational strategy and it must have clear metrics in place. So think about using a scorecard. In our playbook, we have a, a scorecard available that is a sample card that looks at three core elements that's underpinned by a wider organizational element. Step two really is to be clear about the leadership commitment. What does that inclusive leadership look like? How do you hold those leaders to account? And how do they turn up? What's their role and responsibility, right? Step three focuses on the end-to-end -end employee experience and what that needs to look like. So thinking about the systemic change that needs to take place to create the culture for a more diverse workforce that you're looking to achieve. Step four is all about identifying and demonstrating those right behaviors for inclusive performance management, including inclusive coaching, development, progression, all of those aspects and making it really fair and equitable and providing the space for those underrepresented groups that are not typically able to aspire to or able to achieve the, that progression that's required because of their lack of opportunity. Step five is really where you bring it all together. Uh, and this is, whilst it's step five, it actually runs concurrent throughout the whole of this framework, which is to say that you need to talk to your people. <laughs> get them involved, get them engaged. If you're looking to create a fair and equitable and inclusive culture, then talk to them, ask them questions and tell them what you're doing about the things you've asked them. It's not rocket science to say that if I'm going to ask you for feedback, then I should tell you what we're going to do about that. Even if what we are going to do about it won't happen for quite some time because there are varying priorities. And here's where, you you, you know, it's really great for people to know that their leaders are demonstrating vulnerability and that they are happy to be transparent and say we're not there yet and there will be a long way to go 
that kind of information for people will provide the right context for them to buy into the work you're doing as an organization towards creating that equitable, inclusive culture. Finally, the sixth step really looks at the bigger picture outside of your business. So it's not just internal lens. It's what are we doing kind of from a wider community and society perspective, thinking about not only your clients, the marketplace, but also future employees. So you're future proofing your business. You know, how do your clients want to see you, your customers want to see you as an organization? How well are you living up to those brand values? Uh, and what do future employees look for and what will they see? Do they see a place that they have that is a home for talent? And do they feel that they actually can see themselves working in a new organization? So there are those six steps that we look at, all of which kind of surround that organizational strategy. So it's a big chunk of stuff to look at. And I know that these steps are important and to making sure that your approach and your delivery for diversity and inclusion of your business is successful because it's a tried and tested methodology that we've used again and again. Now, just to wrap this up, uh, or rather to say as a wrap around, I'd like to say that one of the additional pitfalls that organizations fall into is not having that accountability framework in place. And that's really all about not necessarily equipping the leaders to have the skills and the knowledge to be able to navigate through this journey. So I encourage them to think about developing inclusive leaders, creating a space for that open and honest dialogue and helping them to feel comfortable with being uncomfortable and demonstrating that vulnerability. Oh my goodness. That is so much information, so many brilliant insights. Thank you ever so much, Mitra. I have so many questions I could ask you now. I'm trying to think which one to start with. <laughs> I think I might pick up on what you were saying at the very end there, which is about equipping senior leadership with the skills that they need. And earlier on, you used the word vulnerability and the fact that they need to be able to be open and transparent and vulnerable. Now, I think there's a lot of talk around at the moment about how important it is to encourage those things. And we can all see it's important. It makes sense, doesn't it? But I also think it can be hard to know, well, how do you do that? Yeah. How do you cultivate an environment where people feel they can speak openly about things and that leaders really can be vulnerable? So it would be brilliant to hear if you have any advice for us around that. Yes, I am. Um, I would say, you know, creating those safe spaces to talk. So we, we have an initiative that we created a couple of years ago called Space to Talk. And we work both in communities on a pro bono basis, as well as with organisations, which is a chargeable service that we have. And really, we found quite a lot of success working with not just senior, middle and junior managers, but also more broadly across organisations. So in the wider employee base, giving them the opportunity and that, you know, it does what it says on the tin, that space to talk for anybody and everybody who wants to be able to bring to the table challenges that they are facing. So it could be anything from how do I deal with X situation? How do I respond? How do I ensure my point of view is heard, even though I am classed as not being an underrepresented group, but I feel that I need to articulate myself. I'm scared. I don't know what the right or wrong thing to say is. All of those aspects really 
come into the conversation. So typically we run our, we have a suite of learning that we have, and we run that through a space to talk methodology. So imagine if you like a listening circle and, you know, for anybody who's not been part of a listening circle before or not been involved in a listening circle before, it's to say that we provide the opportunity, the topic, and typically we will bring leaders together to talk about how to demonstrate vulnerability as a leader what's okay, how to be uncomfortable with situations and how to deal with questions that arise that you don't have answers to because they don't have the answers to everything. And that's okay. And it's also okay to say, I don't have the answer and I'm, you know, we're working on it. So that's the approach we would take uh, to ensure that we create that safe zone for leaders, managers and colleagues alike. So it, it does what it says on, it, on the tin really. Presumably, it's really important that those spaces are facilitated discussions. I can imagine it's very sensitive topics that we're talking about here. And I can imagine that space to talk not necessarily feeling safe if it isn't being facilitated well. Yes, you're right. We really focus on providing that space where individuals, whether you are a senior leader or whether you are a new member, a junior member to the organisation, where you feel comfortable to be able to have the dialogue and the conversation. There is no right or wrong answer. And we do quite a lot of work in advance from a comms and engagement perspective to ensure people really know what it means to be part of this type of space to talk. Uh, and it's not a training course. It's not a training session. You're not there to be talked at and there aren't any slides really it's much more about us focusing on a topic that is specific to that space to talk. So with leaders, we may do that as part of a broader leadership vulnerability. However, we also provide a curriculum of learning, as we were saying, that could be focused on neurodiversity, it could be focused on hidden disabilities, transgender awareness. And I would always work with a subject expert. So somebody with that lived experience. Often I'm, I'm asked, could I have that conversation? And I don't live with neurodiversity. So why would I? What I do well is actually facilitate all of that to come together and ensure everybody understands why they are there and what value they'll be getting out of the session. Well, I absolutely love the sound of the initiative, Mitra. It just sounds incredibly valuable because I know how hard it can feel to talk about incredibly important topics because we worry we're going to say the wrong thing or we might upset someone or we're a bit embarrassed about saying if we don't understand or don't know something. So it just sounds like a fantastic opportunity to really open up those conversations and show people that they can be vulnerable and just how impactful that can be. So thank you for talking us through it. There's another thing I would love to pick up on that you talked about when you were talking to us about creating a really effective diversity and inclusion strategy. And that was you mentioned measurements, metrics and a scorecard, because I know that's one area that people can often lack confidence in, but it is just so important. So for anyone listening right now who's thinking, oh, no, metrics and data ah, <laughs> and feels a bit nervous about it, you might want to hop back a few episodes and listen to episode 58, which is called How to Feel More Confident Using Data and analytics in your HR role. And we had another wonderful guest on the show for that called Angela Moyle, who shared some brilliant ideas and tips and insights to help you build your confidence about that. 
But Mitra, coming back to our episode now, instead of talking about episode 58, <laughs> another thing about metrics that I'd love to ask you about is when you mentioned the ISO certification. It was only from reading your DEI playbook that I even knew there was an ISO certification for HR or for DEI and HR. Can you tell us a little bit more about it in case anyone listening hasn't really ever had to work within an ISO framework before or hasn't come across it before? Yes, absolutely. We have an ISO auditor that works with us as an organisation who is accredited and qualified to use these standards. There are 11 touch points of on these standards. And rather than going to them, I will provide a fact sheet for your listeners so they can see what those touch points are and how we look at those varying audit findings and list them as either major issues that you need to look at, um, minor issues or observational issues and areas for improvement or opportunities for improvement. So we typically work with businesses to say, if you're looking to make this kind of shift and change in your business, you need to use the data you already have, understand your current position, and also be really clear that you're not going to have all of those boxes ticked in green. There are going to be lots of opportunities for improvement, and that's okay. You are with the majority of organizations on a global basis that are working on this. It's a journey, not a destination. So we focus on saying, gather that data and then represent that data in a scorecard. The scorecard that is really focused on DEI. So if you are going to focus on specific elements of diversity, equity and inclusion, and you have got clear ways to measure it, then put this on a scorecard and publish it internally. Transparency is really important for your people and making sure that you report back on all of those aspects that are quantitative, qualitative, program of practice measures, as well as overall business impact measures are really critical. So measure, track, record, and then share with your people. I've only ever personally interacted with the ISO standards once before, and it was years and years ago. And I didn't really have it explained to me at the time. I was just told, we're going to be audited. We have to make sure that we're reaching certain things. And I remember at the time thinking, "Mm, this just feels like a bit of a tick box exercise. And it felt a bit daunting. So it's really refreshing to have you explain it to us in a bit more detail and realise actually, there can be a real value in doing this. So for anyone listening who's thinking, "Mm, maybe it would be a good idea, why do you think meeting the ISO standards is a good idea? Could that be a bit too overwhelming and a bit too heavy for some people? Or is it something that we should all be thinking of? Um, It may look too heavy, but it's really not. What it will do is provide every organisation with the data and their people insight that they really need, which, as you were referring to earlier with your uh, session with Angela, data and people data is so critical to ensuring that you're able to make decisions that are informed and based on current accurate information, rather than saying, well, we don't think we have a problem on X or Y. Uh, we, We do feel that we're a diverse organization, or we have a good gender split, or the pay gap is is not what we think it is. You have got to report on these metrics as organizations. And it's important for future clients, for future employees and existing employees to know what your current state is and how you stack up against the market. I don't think businesses can go on blindly saying that they don't need people data and people MI 
to actually support what they need to get done. So from, from a HR perspective or from a, a business perspective, it's critical you have this data and this information to help you make your decisions around investment and spend and put your money in the right place. Focus on the right aspects that will help you to deliver the goals of the business and the goals that you have that are related to people rather than putting an investment in what you feel or believe or perceive to be the requirement to help you achieve your diversity and inclusion strategy. Does that make sense? It makes complete sense. You've got me completely on board with this now, Mitra. I had no idea when we started our discussion today just how important the data element was going to turn out to be. So I really appreciate you explaining it to us so that we can really understand just how critical this is. But one tiny worry I have emerging from everything we've talked about today is that some people listening might feel overwhelmed because you have just shared so many brilliant ideas. In case someone is listening thinking, oh my goodness, I know that everything Mitra is saying is fantastic, but how am I going to manage to do all of this when I'm already so busy? What would your advice to them be? So my advice would be to make sure you have a strong support network around you. Within the DEI playbook, we talk about creating the right structure, having a governance process. Again, this might sound complicated and convoluted, but it's really not. It's about ensuring that you have the right support in place to help you achieve this. It's not going to be something you can do alone. So as well as the right leadership input and commitment, you'll also need to have a structure of people. So sponsors of your strategy, sponsors within a steering group, you may have employee resource groups that you bring in, or you may not, but you might want to set those up. Uh, is there a desire for all of that? So within that DEI playbook, you'll see how to do that, all the varying roles. You can also then focus on the specific metrics that are important and connecting those back in to your senior leadership teams to create the buy-in and the investment spend that you need. Having the data and having that information available to you Actually, I'm going to go back a step there. Even if you don't have the data available to you, you are then able to say, here's what we do have and here's what we don't have. We need to start collecting some more of this data and this is why it's important. So it can sound overwhelming. And if you are working as a standalone professional in an organization, reach out to us. We have got a one day masterclass that you can join uh, and attend and both virtual and in person number of dates across the year or you can reach out to us directly for consultancy if that's what you'd like us to do or to help you with and um, we also provide dni coaching so for individuals who don't want to just attend a workshop and want ongoing coaching we will provide you with that coaching to help you through this process um, most importantly don't try to bite everything off in one go is what i say thinking back to some of the pitfalls we were talking about at the very beginning People try to achieve everything within a 12 month period uh, and it's not doable. It really isn't. Your strategy and your roadmap should and could be three to five years long. There are some things that are quick wins and other things that take a longer time. Another thing I'd suggest is get involved in other DNI groups, you know, start to build your network of individuals that are also in the same space. And typically when people attend the masterclass, they start to form relationships and continue those conversations through either WhatsApp or Facebook groups. It's a really important message that you're sharing there about the fact that we're not alone. So 
I know that lots of people listening are incredibly capable, incredibly committed, incredibly hardworking. And if you do tick all of those boxes, the flip side of that can be that you sometimes think you've got to do everything yourself. So if you are listening and you're really committed to doing a brilliant job with DEI in your organisation, please don't feel you have got to carry the whole thing alone. In fact, it's going to have a much bigger impact if you do have support around you. Can I ask you, Mitra, are there any DEI groups that you would recommend that we might not be aware of? I love this suggestion of actually being more involved in other DEI groups. Yes, there are actually. I can send you some links again to share with the listeners. Um, Some groups are on LinkedIn as well as on Facebook where individuals are all in various diversity and inclusion roles on, you know, some globally, some in the UK that are really helpful. Uh, I can't name them all off the top of my head, but I have got some links I can share with you. That's great. And I really appreciate all of the links that you've mentioned as we've gone along today. So for anyone listening who's thinking, oh my goodness, I can't wait to find out about all of these resources and groups that Mitra has been mentioning, I will pop all the links to everything that we've talked about today in the show notes. And if you're thinking, what on earth are the show notes, Faye? All that is, is some writing that you'll find underneath wherever it is that you're listening to this podcast episode. So if you're listening to it on my website, which is Bright Sky Career Coaching, just go to the exact episode, click on it and scroll down. You'll see that there are some handy notes sitting under there for you with all the links in. Or if you're listening on a podcasting platform like Apple or Spotify, again, after you've tapped on the episode to listen to it, just scroll down and you'll see that writing is there. If you've got any difficulty with that at all, then just get in touch with me and I'll be able to help. But bringing us back to the main part of the interview, we are at the non-fiction book recommendation stage, which I always really enjoy. I can't wait to hear what your non-fiction book recommendation is for us, Mitra. My non-fiction book recommendation is one I've just started to read called Diversity Beyond Lip Service. Uh, And it's a coaching guide for challenging bias by a lady called Lawana Harris. She really talks about inclusion and an approach for inclusion coaching, which helps companies and individuals to do the work to prepare, implement and sustain inclusive organisational culture change. So to your point just now, if you're feeling overwhelmed, if you're feeling that, oh my gosh, where do I begin? Where do I start? Download the DEI playbook and use the Measuring DEI Effectively fact sheet, but also grab this book. It will give you the opportunity to look at different approaches and techniques that will help you with that inclusion coaching, helping leaders and colleagues understand their role and responsibility in supporting you to deliver successful DEI change in your business. Well, that sounds like the perfect book recommendation for our episode together today. It's one that I haven't heard of before, Mitra, so I'm looking forward to looking that up. And of course, I will put a link to that in the show notes as well. And now we're at our very final question, which is for anyone listening today who'd like to know more about you and your work, what is the best way of them learning more or getting in touch? You can reach me through our website, which is darlingbusinesssolutions.com, or you can find me probably more easily uh, on LinkedIn. So connect in with me. My name is Mitra Rowe on there. And you can also, if you are a HR Ninja, reach me through the HR Ninjas group. I am their EDI partner for the HR Ninjas, and I'm happy to answer all questions. I really love talking to people who are 
tasked and challenged with this. And I'm very happy to share whatever knowledge, advice and guidance I can give you to the very best of my ability. Well, thank you so much, Mitra. It has been absolutely wonderful having you on the show. And I just know that all of your experience and advice that you've shared with us today are going to be a huge help to so many people who listen to this episode. Thank you, Faye. Thank you for having me on. It's been a pleasure. If you've enjoyed today's episode, please can I ask you for a small favour? I'd be hugely grateful if you could do two things for me. Firstly, if you could share the podcast with a friend who you think will find it interesting and useful, that would be brilliant. And secondly, if you could rate and review HR Coffee Time for me on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, that would be wonderful. It makes such a difference in helping the show get discovered by more people. And I would love to help as many HR and people professionals as possible with this free podcast. Thank you so much. And I look forward to being back again next Friday with the next episode.